You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia. On today's episode of the Dead Air podcast, we're going to be doing the 1982 slasher, The Slumber Party Massacre. Not to be confused with a slumber party massacre. Or a simple slumber party massacre with no <laughs> the. It can be easily confused. Now, I'd like to point out to our listeners that there's no better time to get in our jam jams, cozy up. And watch the Slumber Party Massacre because it is fucking freezing out. Oh my god. I don't know. Jam jams, as you put it, aren't that cozy. I think I would need to put like a suit of clothing on under the jam jams because they're typically just like, uh, like for a girl, just like a little stinking nightgown that's made out of like toilet paper mm-hmm. or flannel little pants and a like a tube top. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's more important that women sleep as sexually as possible i'd like to be warm it is cold outside like we're talking minus 40 celsius stuff here i would like to sleep in a skidoo suit i frankly would need to put on my pajamas and then have you light me the fuck on fire i threatened to do that earlier today actually (laughs) so yeah that's not totally uh, outlandish yeah i would like to be set on fire right now too (laughs) so (laughs) So we'd like to be set on fire. We've established that. So we're continuing our trend of sort of dipping into the video market slashers of the 1980s, which seemed to really appeal to me for some reason. It will always appeal to you. (laughs) Well, also, it's uh, Women in Horror Month, so I thought it'd be a good idea to do a movie that not just had examples of strong women in it, because there's tons of horror movies with those examples in it, but... Let's also bring a movie in that was written by a woman and then directed by a woman. Yes. And she produced it as well. Mm-hmm. Amy Holden Jones. Yeah. And Amy Rita, Jones directed it. Rita Mae Brown is the writer. Yeah. And both reported feminists. I don't know a lot about either of these women. I'm... I can tell you that uh, Amy Jones, the only film credit that I was, that I'm really intimately knowledgeable about, and I'm talking about intimately knowledgeable about was she's got a writing credit on the 1992 classic Beethoven. (laughs) You would be intimate, like a gusset with a fucking Beethoven. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying that some animals can't be tamed, but perhaps their hearts are so big and they're so beloved by their families that, you know, a little unruliness can be turned into one of the greatest unsung heroes of my childhood. I'm just picturing a little preteen Lydia going, what do you want to watch, Lydia? Beethoven or Hamburger Hill? <laughs> Hamburger Hill or Beethoven, Lydia? Which one do you want to watch? Which one do you think it was? My brain knows it's Hamburger Hill. My heart wants it to be Beethoven. We'll just leave it at that <laughs> for you today. Today. That's awful nice of you. No, this is a really good choice for Women in Horror Month because it it goes beyond, like, the typical final girl scenario. Mm -hmm. It goes beyond, like, the faceless killer. 
This mm-hmm. is a killer with a face. It's great, you know? Yeah. We get to know him. We know his name. We hang out with him. We get used to his fashion sense, you know? A lot of denim. Yeah. Denim as far as the eye can see. <laughs> I'm not going to uh, come down too hard on that. I remember a lot of denim being prevalent in those days. My sister had an ensemble, we'll call it, that was a denim skirt a de- with a denim jacket, uh, denim boots, and denim earrings. Where the fuck did she find denim boots? That's I, amazing. I have no idea. They were they were uh, they almost kind of they almost looked like cowboy boots, yeah. but they were just denim. This was also the era where people were embellishing their denim. So like, <laughs> it's nice to see some unadorned naked virgin denim on this mad gentleman. Uh, he, he didn't, didn't bejazzle it. <laughs> I was just gonna, just gonna he say. didn't sew lace to the cuffs. <laughs> yeah, there aren't like things. He didn't put vintage buttons in place of all the buttons. It's nice to see some virgin denim. <laughs> Very pleased with what's his name, Russ. Russ Thorne is the name of the killer. Oh, sexy name. It's it's a very utilitarian name. So, I'm Russ. I'm a killer. His name was Peter Steele. <laughs> Dick Pound. <laughs> Dick Pound. Dude, Hardcock. Yeah. <laughs> It does have a really good gaggle of girls as well. Um, it starts out with typical, like so typical of horror films. And it is such a like, if Aliens land and said, take me to your 80s slasher, this would be a perfect one to show them because it's really got it all. It's mm-hmm. got, you know, girls getting ready to go somewhere and stripping, like changing their clothes so you get to see boobs. It's got a shower scene. It's got girls getting killed by a killer it's got boys and girls like the boys trying to sneak into the girl's slumber party all these tropes so many of them it's such a a perfect little slasher i don't know why it's not more popular it has a fan base but it's not as big as some of the other slashers even for the direct-to-video stuff the slumber party massacre has a following but Mm. i mean not even i mean we just did the sleepaway camp it's not as big as that and it's certainly not as big as even things like prom night. Is it just overshadowed or does it have its problems? Is that, or is it a combination of those things? The difference between this slasher movie and a lot of others from the so-called slasher boom, 1978 to 1984, is that the Slumber Party Massacre has originally written as more parodic, then made in the, the Corman factory a little bit more uh, straight-laced, but... So it has, so, but what that did was it gave it this weird melding of humor and also seriousness. So it kind of toes the line a little bit more. Some people like their slashers to be a little bit more straightforward. So maybe the comedic elements pull people out too much. I don't know. They, they actually bring me in. I really, some of my favorite scenes, and we'll get into some of our favorite scenes, Mine too, tend yeah. to be those. Mine too. I, I think that there's so many different flavors of slashers out there. And I think that if you really want to have a nice, well-rounded sense of this particular subgenre, because to a lot of people, to a lot of regular folk, the normies, as we call them, slasher movies pretty much are horror movies. Then that's it. When people are talking about horror movies and they're not as initiated as some of us, they're usually just talking about those, right? That's how come they're easy to parody, in movies like Scream yeah. and Cabin in the Woods. Everyone's somewhat familiar with at least one, if not a good handful of slashers. Mm-hmm. Also, the Slumber Party Massacre has like a more kitschy title, so it might bring non-horror fans away from it 
know what I'm saying? No, no, I don't know what you're saying. So basically when you have titles that, for example, um, one of the big draws in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the title for a lot of people, Oh, right? yeah. It, because it just... I want to see it, that. It's... If it was called Chick on a Meat Hook, I'd be... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me watch this. Chicken... If it was called Chick on the Meat Hook, you'd want to see it more? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, for most people, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre title was what drew them to it because it had a really great title. I feel like people could look at Summer Party Massacre and just feel, oh, it kind of sounds the same, so we don't want to watch it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just sounded too generic right off the hop. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. I don't know. I'm coming at it from the, the view of the 13-year-old girl in the video store looking at that cover and being transfixed and being like, I go to slumber parties. Mm-hmm. I like massacres. <laughs> I think this sounds like fun. I loved titles like this for horror. I feel the more flowery and... The more it explains the title, I, I tend to like it more. I mean, I love, obviously, slasher movies that are based off of holidays. Uh, those are great to me. But the second you start putting Massacre, Slaughter High, or things like that into it, I, I'm just like, oh, I definitely want to see this. Because, to me, it's an advertisement that says, this is going to be off the wall, not serious. It's going to be way more of an exploitation film and fuck it sometimes that's what we want yeah yeah so so to the squares and people that aren't us reading these titles are just like massacre this bloodbath that basket case this that and the next or whatever yeah. it's all the same yeah and also i think that one of and and we'll get into this as we go into the plot but i think that some of the reasons why summer party massacre could be more forgettable is the lack of a very iconic killer. Yes. And, in fact, we'll get into it to the point that I think it would be propelled into the stratosphere of amazeballs had it had. (laughs) I think it would definitely change the tone of the film entirely. I think that when you're going even to one-off slashers like The Burning or Prom Night, you have killers that have iconic looks to them even if it's even if it's something is like i'm just wearing like a a, a balaclava it, it's a little sparkly it's like my rhinestone mask people notice that more right and it'll stick with them more as opposed to oh you know that's the one the guy the guy with the red shirt and the jean jacket and the short hair you know what i'm saying yeah no there's some people that could that if you described a little tiny bit of the film and and describe the killers as wearing pig masks there's people that would know the difference between all of them but there's so many people that would just be like oh my god it's just another movie with a guy with pig masks on yeah um easily confused um do you could describe this killer and not pinpoint what movie he's from whatsoever yeah yeah he's almost into the realm of a black glove killer except that you see a lot of him i would almost argue too much yeah yeah because it would have been a, a, a more effective and interesting film had the focus been solely on the girls but maybe that's part of the writing that was going on there to have sort of a push-pull between mm-hmm. the killer and the girls mm-hmm. perhaps because it's not really something that's revisited i can't think of a movie off the top where there's really that much push-pull with screen time it's difficult generally speaking if slasher movies get to the point where their killer is supposed to be the whole freaking show yeah. So that's when you're getting into your holy trinities of slasher characters. They will make the shift that 
Freddy Krueger is going to get a lot of fucking screen time and he's going to get all the best fucking lines. Yeah. But if we're doing a slasher and especially in the early days of slasher, if you think back to things like Black Christmas, even the first Halloween film, if you're or the first Friday the 13th film, mm-hmm. you're it's always uh or a prom night. Who is the killer? Yeah. Who is it? Um, in the case of Halloween, it didn't matter who the killer was. It was simply and purely an embodiment of evil. But in something like Prom Night, it's the whole fucking show. Who is this killer? And if you constantly showed that killer, you lose it, right? Same with Friday the 13th. You don't want to know right away that it's Betsy Palmer. You want to be surprised. And play that whodunit. Exactly. And so people... Have your red herrings. Exactly. Yeah. This very much, uh, right off the jump... No, because on fucking K-Rock 66.6 radio, they tell you right away in the first yeah, five minutes. There's, here's your escaped mental patient. And it's not like a red herring where here's your escaped mental patient that happens to be in the neighborhood. Uh, like, what were we watching where that happened? Satan's Little Helper. That's right. It was yeah. Satan's Little Helper that had that beat about, oh, here's a neighborhood <laughs> kid who's escaped. And he has a history of arson and stuff like that. And so, yeah, he's probably the killer, right? But we don't (laughs) ever know. This doesn't do that at all. It's like, no, 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 this is the killer. And within the first 10 minutes of the flick, we're going to see the guy fairly clearly. And then we're really going to see him clearly in his very next scene. We're going to see him in all his glory. Really? Yeah, exactly. There's not a lot of this hunting girls down with these closely cropped shots where you only see like his shoulder, or his hands, or the the implement, his weapon, and things like that. You you see his face, like, mm-hmm. and the girls see his face. You see them see his face. You see him see them. Mm-hmm. It's not really intended to have a lot of suspense in it. A lot of the suspense that comes from certain slashers that will use the mystery to push the narrative forward for the audience because. A lot of times when characters are figuring out who the killer is, the audience also is supposed to be figuring out at the same time. Sometimes audience is either particularly astute or the way that the movie's written. We know who the killer is and we're waiting for characters to catch up. Those are the fucking worst. Or someone else knows who it is and the audience doesn't. So they're like, it was you all along. I knew it was you. And then they die. <laughs> and it's like, but who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Those are the two games we like to play. Mm-hmm. This movie does an interesting thing towards the last bit of it where they're trying to have characters come up with theories about what the hell is actually happening and it really goes off into left field it's a really weird uh decision to make but you know we'll get into it so we're introduced to trish yeah and she wants to have a slumber party like you do all her high school friends you know what i like about these ladies lydia you know what i like about them a lot I'm just going to guess their tits? No. What is it? They're all very beautiful ladies, but what I like about them is they're so nice to each other. They are, and that was one of the things. When I was looking at their tits in the shower scene, or I, when, I, when I was appreciating the shower scene, my eyes twitching, um, I like the shower scene. Because, and you pointed out, I was like, you know what, I really like the shower scene because it's fairly innocent and it's really irregular. Like, I'm not sitting here watching it as a girl who's been in a shower with other women at the gym or whatever, going like, this is not what it's like at all, which is like like 99% of the time reaction to the fucking shower scenes, Mm -hmm. really. And no one soaps up so sexy like that, especially solo shower scenes. What the fuck? Mm 
So I watched this one and I'm like, you know what? This is, I like this. There's a few, there are a few films with shower scenes that I totally agree with. And this is one of them. And mm. you had pointed out that's because they're all being so nice to one another. Mm-hmm. The showers are treated very, I mean, look, the director, uh, Amy Jones said, look, it's a Roger Corman picture. There are expectations from Roger Corman. I mean, like you're talking about a dude that... Um, made them go back and refilm shots from of Galaxy of Terror because there was not enough nudity in it. He was like, you need more scenes with nudity in it. And the only time he showed up for set for that one was where the chick was getting raped by the big slug. So, I mean, he's a special kind of guy that really knows what he wants in his movies. And his audience. He knows his audience. Mm-hmm. People go to the Roger Corman movies to see certain aspects. And so this scene much like showering itself, is very utilitarian. It's just, we just had a gym class. We are cleaning ourselves for the rest of the day. We're having casual conversation. The fact that we're naked and showering is just happenstance because we have to be in this situation right now. Nobody's really acting in ordinary. No one's like... I'm gonna soak myself up super sexy now. I mean, that's how I soak myself up, and I sing that song. I don't unbelieve you. I don't. And I mean, you could. Some people could watch this and be like, "Oh, but the camera has the male gaze and blah blah blah." Oh, it definitely does because it pans. Down. I'd have to say I would have matched that gaze, shot yeah. for shot, really? just fine. Yeah. From time to time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I don't know, man. They got. They got athletes bodies what can it, i say it's true i'll be honest I, I wouldn't i wouldn't i would make the argument that women can look at women just like that too so stuff it look if i if i am in a changing room situation uh i have definitely checked out some some peeps checked, yeah. checked them out i mean like what's this guy all about i feel like that's the last thing i need to know about a friend of mine it's like what's your dick look like no but it's like <laughs> appreciation plus it's not like perving there's yeah. a difference between perving and appreciating your friends or someone that you don't know that's naked beside you in a change room yeah. or whatever. Like, it's just, it's human body appreciation plus. There you go. Yeah. And plus, I want to know, like, what's her dick look like? Plus, this is a horror movie, so that's what we came for, right? Yes, some of us. Some of us. Sometimes. 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 Anyway, moving on. The shower <laughs> scene was very, very well done. And it's not the only boobs you see. Nope. In the, we'd watched like a small uh, making of a little like 30 years after featurette and it, it to watch that you would almost think that it's the only nudity because it was that utilitarian nudity scene but there is and while not entirely reflective of what a slumber party would actually be like yeah I was I gonna guess say would, we, would you change in front of your friends like that for like apropos of nothing mm, I've changed in front of my friends women have changed in front of one another it's okay. you know, since the dawn of time okay. but Yes and no. Women change in front of each other, yeah. It depends on the particular person as to whether they would think that that's too sexy or too titillating or too much information for their friends to have seen. And then there's other people who will dress in a far more provocative manner alone in front of their mom, you know? Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the person watching it. Okay, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. There are guys in this movie. There are, but they're cartoon levels of pervy because they really want to get laid a lot of them i found them fairly realistic well i mean we've all had those days <laughs> but i just feel as though it's almost like a more adult version of the archies to me because of the fact that you kind of have like an archie and jughead duo and they're 
oh, here's a, a cable repair woman. And let's go and chat her up. I want to date her. And he's like, I'm going to help you with this ladder. What, what do you think? You want to date a younger guy? Oh, come on. That is, it is a lot like Archie and Jughead. Oh, my gosh. And Moose <laughs> even shows up later, too. <laughs> Moose does fucking show up later. Wow. And they, I, I thought that, you know, I, I'm sort of joking about I thought that they were very realistic. Because um, most of my men were friends and most of my male friends do not fucking behave like this. But they kind of behave like 12-year-old boys. Yeah. Not 18-year-old boys. Yeah, or they have, like, a Revenge of the Nerds qu- uh, type quality to them where they're just, like, really... Kinda meatballs. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, they, like, they're just like, oh, man. Like, pan- like, I feel like these guys could really be convinced into doing a panty raid. Like, really get convinced to do that. I think they were inches away from it. Hell, yeah. After uh, the, 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 uh, the phone repair woman, she wasn't a cable repair woman, after the phone repair woman rejects them very, very sweetly. I mean, it's not, like, an aggressive... Say- you know what? I've just thought about that. Right this fucking second. I was like, no one's really aggressive with each other. Like, everyone's kind of, they're happy kids. The most aggressive they are is playing basketball. That's the only time that the girls are really at each other's throats, so to speak. Yeah. And I just want to point out that you cannot play basketball without a bra on. Contrary to popular belief in this film, <laughs> you don't have any idea how fucking painful that is. So fuck you, braless basketball. Well, we're also introducing that basketball scene and, and after the shower scene to, to Valerie who I guess is the new girl in town. Everyone kind of agrees that she's pretty. And the snottiest thing that gets said to her is that she works on it. She works on how pretty she is. That's like the snottiest thing that someone kind of says to each other. And and, and even then, when she's saying it to her group of friends, they're like, I think you're probably just jealous. Yeah, while you adjust your fucking beautiful bra and brush your hair and premeditate the rest of your look for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is really the most snarky thing that's said about her, which isn't bad considering horror movies and how they pick on the underdog, the new girl, the geek girl, whatever. The picking on Valerie isn't really that bad. Not enough to drive her away from the social circle either. No. But Not at all, because uh, Trish uh, extends the olive branch out to her to, be, to invite her to the slumber party that they're going to be having. But Val had overheard that one mm-hmm. snarky mm-hmm. remark. Yeah. That's all it takes. Yep. She doesn't want any part of that, so she ha- is going to go home. They didn't even have to throw tampons at her. No, I know. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was thinking about how night and day the shower scene from Carrie is versus the shower scene from the Slumber Party Massacre, where I was just like, I wish Carrie, I bet Carrie wished she went to this school. Oh <laughs> my God, she probably wouldn't have killed everybody. Killed Valerie for having so many friends. Well, you'd be watching this for the first time and think that maybe Valerie will come around and she'll mm-hmm. join these friends next door. And I kind of like that that doesn't really happen. They stay in their little separate houses mm-hmm. in this little suburb that's really reminiscent of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Very regular anywhere USA. Mm-hmm. But going back to the repair woman, she gets like yanked into the van like it's like a bad vaudeville routine and like the hook comes out to like pull her pull her off stage <laughs> pull her off stage but she gets pulled into it and what, what what struck me as funny was i think one of her shoes or something kind of went flying it was her book like her oh, little her, like her book so i was like this is very animated and manic Whoop! Yeah. <laughs> right. and the guys are just walking away and they're talking because i guess they're excited about all their female friends having a slumber party yeah so this and, hitting on this older repair woman is out of their minds for the moment and yeah they and back, they struck out anyway and by the way that van is soundproof because as she's banging on the door and screaming at the top of her lungs and they're 10 feet away can't hear a thing 
I hate that in horror movies. And there's a couple scenes in this, not as bad as a lot of other, and specifically more modern horror, Mm -hmm. where all I can think, every 10 minutes, I'm like, how can they not fucking hear that? I can fucking hear that. If I was sitting there with my mouth covered by my hand and whimpering and, like, trying to not cough or whatever it is they're doing when they're hiding, I'm like, they can hear that. You can hear someone breathing rapidly in the same room. Yeah. But in this one, yeah. I don't know. We might have to test it. I'm going to, I'll go put you in a van. Gotcha. And you can, like, beat on the doors and scream. Gotcha. And I'll go walk 10 feet away and see what I hear. Okay. Okay. What are you going to do to motivate me to scream, though? I need motivation. There's going to be a killer in there. Oh, God. Yeah. Sorry. But it's for science. <laughs> well, the killer won't be you, so I'll be less scared because I know what you're like. Now, this is where we see his implement of destruction, Lydia. And it's another drill. I like drill movies. Me too. I like drill movies. Very phallic. Which they're not subtle about in this whatsoever. And, but I gotta say, not as terrifying. I feel like this drill was comically too big. I like the drill in The Driller Killer. Even though it's it's he's got like a battery pack and he's, you know, all wired for sound and shit. At the risk of venturing into that's what she said territory, I think his drill is a fine size. I have no problems with the size of his massive drill. Yeah, and you know what? It is ribbed for their pleasure. Yes, very much. It's a boring drill, and it's probably used for putting those great big anchor hooks in telephone wires, because I think he steals it from the van. I'm just guessing he steals it from the van, right? Because he didn't go in the van with it. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's a nice size. All right. It's all about what you do with it. So the girls are planning this summer party. Val is next door. She's not invited. Uh, they're all sort of waiting for all of the girls to show up, but one of them doesn't quite make it, and that's played by Brink Stevens, mm-hmm. who also has a little role in Body Double, which is kind mm-hmm. of the impetus for me wanting to do drill movies, like Driller Killer. Okay. And this one fits in just perfectly, and it's just a nice, convenient coincidence that Brink Stevens is also in Body Double, a fairly infamous drill death in that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was her first uh, big role, big speaking role. And then, of course, she would go on to become quite the screen queen. Mm-hmm. Her death in this is kind of interesting, and it's kind of typical of those sneaking around the school, and the killer should be able to hear you panting. And I like that she had the presence of mind to attempt to sop up her own blood that was leaking underneath the door. I thought that was a nice touch. There's a couple scenes like that that are just really, really amazing writing. So kudos to Rena Mae Brown for having the foresight. That, and there's another part where um, Trish, I think it's Trish, I guess it's Trish, uh, smashes a glass and she's picking up the pieces and then yep. she hears a noise and goes down the hall just absentmindedly holding one of the bigger shards of glass. I don't think she grabbed it necessarily as a weapon. It was just what she was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, awesome. So that if she does... If this perceived threat, which doesn't pan out, but this perceived threat is there, she's already has a weapon just because she was being a good housekeeper. Yeah, that definitely was cool. It's a good housekeeping. It's like, oh, I got to clean up this blood. It's not about the killer seeing the blood. It's like, oh, I've made a mess. Look at me. Okay, totally distracted. What? I'm being stalked? <laughs> you can't can tell you who's not invited to this slumber party, Lydia. Mr. Content. He'd invite himself if he had half a chance. Actually, he just kind of fucking walks in. Let me ask you this. If you were going away, because that's the the impetus of all of this, is the fact that Trisha's mother is 
going away or her parents are going away. Yeah. And, oh, don't you worry because we have our neighbor, good old Mr. Content, going to watch over you. And, you know, with your big smile on your Hawaiian shirt. He's not very creepy, but he's not not creepy either to me. I mean, for fuck's sake, there's one scene where he's just in her house. He, he, at what point would that be okay to just be, I'm going into my neighbor's teenage daughter's house. and I'm going to sneak up behind her because her parents told me to watch her. They must feed each other's cats. They must be those neighbors that feed each other's cats or whatever. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, you think that is? They so each have like each other's key. Yeah, he has a key or something. It's got to be. That's the only way to explain that. That or their swingers. <clears throat> Maybe her parents are fucking wife swapping types. Oh. It is that kind of day and age and that's that kind of neighborhood. And this was in California. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> what more do you need? Uh- <laughs> Later on, he gets weirder, but it is pretty weird. And it's that, you know, perceived threat that she's kind of tracking in her own house because she hears noises and she has this great big shard of glass in her hand just Mm -hmm. in case. And luckily, and it's Mr. Content. What a name. (laughs) He's like, we need some content for this movie. Uh, I don't know. Okay, we need a we need a neighbor character. All right, you can push the dialogue forward a little bit. What's his name? I don't know. Uh, you know, he like, he's just content. He's content. So c- call him Mister Mister Content for now, and we'll punch it up later in in, in another draft. Yeah, Mister Smith, Mister Jones, whatever. Oh, it still says content. Uh, yeah, for, whatever. We're going forward. Moving on. Moving on. Maybe sorry, my Canadian brain is all like it's Mister Content. Oh, like, maybe. They specifically call him content. Yeah, I know. They Americanize his obviously French name. Oh, okay. There, I've just given him a backstory. (laughs) Other than him being a swinger, they're key swappers. I was going to say, he's a key swapping French Canadian. Yeah. That explains Mr. Content. Monsieur Content. (laughs) And when these ladies get together, it's time for some booze. Time for some marijuana. Maui wowie. Maui wowie, which I've never heard before <laughs> until this movie. And, and you know, good times. This is going to be a bunch of ladies sitting together. Now, Valerie is just across the way. She's a neighbor, basically. And she's just chilling out, studying, hanging with her little sister. I love her little sister. Courtney, yeah. Yeah. Courtney is probably my favorite character in this entire film. Now, hang on a second here. Why do you like Courtney so much? Because she is foul-minded. Foul-minded? She reads porn. She does. She has a, the, the Sylvester Stallone 1981 July issue of Playgirl. Yeah. Which she's smurfing her sister, but whatever. She scowls continuously. I love her little face. Yeah. And like she got the arms crossed a lot. Yeah. I don't like her wardrobe. That... Butch Collar Lacoste shirt is just not doing one thing for her. And she does have this conversation with her sister. And she it is a very, like, big sister, little sister. They do it really well. And they're scripted really well as far as the little bit of needling and picking on one another they do. Um, but when she's saying, like, I just want to be pretty like you to her older sister, I'm thinking, you need a better wardrobe. That that shirt has got to go. It's like ultra butch. <laughs> it goes well with the scowl. But the scowl would look so much better in a dress. <laughs> that's just my thoughts i like courtney yeah she's pretty great all the characters have pretty great personalities clearly defined but when we get back to when we get back to the slumber party mr content gives, like leaves because 
he sees that there's booze there, Maui Wowie, and Trish understandably is a little freaked out by the whole idea that, oh no, he's going to tell my parents, but don't worry, man. Mr. Content's cool. Yeah, and creepily enough, he says, if you don't tell your parents I was in the house, I won't tell them about that. Which is like, kind of makes me backpedal on this whole, maybe they're palsy wowsies. Maybe they're not. Maybe he was trying to put his dick in her mouth. Maybe. He seemed more. He seemed more worried that he scared her. He felt bad that he scared her. Yeah. I don't know if he. I don't know if he felt so bad that he was in the house. Maybe he's like, oh, I didn't mean to scare you. But then again, what do you think's gonna happen when you creep into somebody's house unannounced, creep up behind them when they're not facing you, and put their your hand on their shoulder? Yeah. What other reaction would any other human being have? That makes sense. But he was like, oops, didn't mean to scare you. Yeah. Didn't you, Mister Content? Didn't you? If it weren't for later scenes with Mr. Content, we probably wouldn't be dissecting Mr. Content the way we are <laughs> right now. See, it gets weirder. He's only, like, he's got little bit, bit, bit scenes, but Yeah, I don't want to, like, the way we're talking about him, it sounds like he's the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he's really not. He probably has a combined seven minutes of screen time. Yeah. Not even. Yeah. Like, not even. Generously. Yeah, sharing the screen at that. So at this point, there has already been, since... Russ's escape. Two yeah. two kills? Phone repair woman. Yeah. There it was uh Linda, their friend Linda, who y- didn't make it to the party. No, she didn't make it to the party. So yeah, there's been two. Yeah, but hasn't been on the news or anything and no one really knows and no one's paying attention. Not really. But I he's mean, around. He is definitely around. They were aware, they're searching for him. I mean they're not doing door to door searches. Yeah, the girls, I uh, don't know there's a killer in their midst, and they're getting ready for the rest of their night now that yeah. all the parents are gone and the weird neighbor is gone, and yeah. they all seem to be together now. Linda's still, or Val's still next door mm-hmm. with her sister Courtney, studying, mm-hmm. reading, making fun of her sister for reading porn or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Pretty quiet suburban night. Yeah, that's true. It's like the house has got Kim and Jackie in it, and... Uh, Archie and Jughead lurking outside. <laughs> Which I'm really glad there's two of them. You know, they, they do add a good comic element. I really, I do enjoy Archie very, and Jughead. They're very high energy perverts. Because you were pointing out when we were watching the movie, it's like, it's a good thing it's not just one dude standing out there watching women undress because he He'd be baiting. He'd totally be whacking off. Totally. And then it would be really creepy. Then we'd have our red herring. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's this guy. This guy is going to be a killer. Even though we've already seen Russ. I was going to say full frontal. That sounded totally totally wrong. Full frontal Russ and his sexy drill. His big throbbing drill. It is. And he greases it up. Oh, fuck yeah. Slick and hard. Oh, yeah. I'm a little slick and hard myself. Okay, Slick. <laughs> Finally, the fucking nickname takes. I tried so fucking hard. I'm going to put you in a van, Slick. Oh, God. got to be careful because that's what Russ drives around in, too. This is, this is like ushering in the era of the scary white van. I'm convinced. It must be because I'm trying to think, like, what other... And I'd, I'd query, like, what other horror films start out with the impersonating the handyman? That's usually a technique used in, like... Crimes and thrillers or porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or masquerading as a pizza boy. <laughs> Not that I watch porn. Ever. Yeah. Anyway. So the 
phone repair truck is parked outside and they had had a call to the house earlier to repair the phone. Mm. So Russ is, it's his lucky day. Oh yeah. It's no, it's not weird at all that this giant van is sitting out there. What I want to know is why do you think that the girl's house got singled in on? Do you think it was random? He'd followed them home from school because he saw the guys after killing the phone repair woman, them walking away and they joined up with their group of female friends. And of course, he must have thought they were pretty. Mm -hmm. So he just basically followed them all home, I'm pretty sure. We'd have to watch and pay attention if there are vans in the background lurking, which it probably is. They do a pretty good job of, of setting up scenes like that. So I'm sure that the van does lurk. But he does watch them in the rearview mirror walking away mm-hmm. with his creepy look. The nice thing that I like is once the movie moves to Trisha's house, it pretty much focuses on that house and Valerie's house. And that is where the remainder of this movie takes place. So not a, not a lot of scenery changes. You have the school... And you get some suspense and you get some kills in school. Yeah. But then once it moves to the house, that's it. And what's great about it, and what's, what's, what's great about it is I love watching these movies where the characters have no fucking idea what's going on. There's no creepy campfire backstory like Friday the 13th or The Final Terror. There's no Loomis giving long... Uh, expository speeches about the blackest eyes. Yeah, it's not like an anniversary or something like that. Not at all. Have any reason? It, it's, for alarm. it's it's like all of a sudden you're just in one spot and this fucking guy just comes out of nowhere and like, yeah, with his drill and his jean jacket flapping in the breeze and he just fucks you up. And so it's cool to see how characters are reacting. Obviously so surprised and then watching their survival instincts come in and not really knowing how to handle it. And that's what you see a lot in this movie is people not really like formulating plans on the fly and they're not always the best plans, but as an audience member, you could think to yourself, well, would I have a better idea if this was happening to me? Sort of. There's a few times where I'm just like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you thinking that? You know this layout. You know this. You have this at your disposal. But yeah, it's not quite as bad as some horror movies where you're like, don't go to the window. And they do, you know, like things like that Mm -hmm. aren't as, you know, eye roll worthy. But yeah, I like that it's not as insular, although it does take place in between two houses, basically, Mm -hmm. mostly in one house. There are angles from they utilize the garage heavily. They yep. go shoot from light to dark, from dark to light. They shoot in through the windows, out from the windows. They use the backyard, the stoop. Like they they do travel every square foot of these properties mm-hmm. to really our advantage. So it's not a boring scenery like say Death and the Maiden. That Roman uh, Polanski's Death and the Maiden basically yeah, yeah, takes yeah, yeah, place yeah. in a fucking room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not so with this. So it is really kinetic, and we get a, a full use of these full houses. They weren't sets; they were full houses, which oh, is yeah. awesome. I really enjoyed that. But it gives also the killer lots of places to lurk, mm-hmm. and they do even though they show so much. Of this killer. And he's, he's no mystery that he's after them. And it's no mystery usually where he is. He does pop up from time to time. He's got some stealth skills. Yeah. He's, he's a good sneaker. It's if all, anything. It's all that light treading he's doing. Yeah. 
peacock-like, one like, might like, say. Like a peacock. That's what I was just thinking exactly. When I saw him, I thought, he is like a peacock. So peacock-like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's crazy because there was this big trend uh, right after this movie came out. All these zoologists were writing reviews and they were just like, just like a peacock. Just that, like a peacock. That, that was just all they, that was the, that was the one sentence review from every zoologist pretty much on the planet. Just like a peacock. Yeah. Yeah. Five There's stars. A, like the denim and the peacockery. That's probably where we get all the um, bejazzling. I, my brain wants to keep saying bejazzling, but that's a totally different thing. But <laughs> the bejazzled fucking denim probably came from this peacock like appearance of this man in denim. So we decided to like stitch cowhide to our denim and things like that because of this peacockery. We're, of course, making fun of uh, Michael Villela, who seems like a very sweet man, and but he's a very method actor. And so he was uh, he said that he had used a lot of inspiration from how a peacock moves. Yeah, he had animalized the character. And it, it's a, it is a good that's a great technique for getting into character. Well, for sure. And he chose a peacock. I would have thought something more predatory. Who say a peacock can't fuck you up? I don't know the first fucking thing about peacocks, to be honest with you. Neither do I. They're so cute. I know that Hunter S. Thompson had peacocks. Wasn't he crazy, though? I'd say he's flamboyant. Uh, eccentric. Eccentric. There you go. Like a peacock. Seriously, though, a lot of the motions that this killer makes that don't quite sit well and aren't menacing and aren't quite what you would be afraid of if this was a killer lurking in your home or uh, someone chasing you down the darkened halls of the school who's already maimed you that's where you sort of like step back and say well he's not really that scary it's these peacock like motions that sort of don't quite work and yeah like choosing a more predatory animal you know you want to choose like a bear Mm -hmm. or like a cobra a cobra would have snake, been really fun. Snake would be cool, yeah. Yeah. I want to see this movie redone where he pretends he's a cobra. Yeah, just get the same actor in there and just be like, you're a cobra now. Like Ricky Tiki Tavi. I was terrified of that as a child. And there's I, two cobras. What I will say about the performance is it very much seems like a whole thing. It's consistent. But when I'm watching it, he seems very hunched, very light on his feet, and very wide-eyed. Like, is I I would almost want to go back and see if there are really any shots of him blinking in the entire movie. Because you don't really see it from my recollection. So what I'll give him credit for is he came in with a whole character. Oh, yeah. That, very, And it's creepy. That's for sure. He's and, an unsettled individual. And he's not mute, although he's mute for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. He does have some dialogue, and I think that's the most affecting scene to me because I was like, okay, I see, you're bringing something to it. But beforehand, I almost would want to say, make the decision to have a mute killer or make the decision to have a chatty killer, but you can't have it both ways. I don't know. I'd have to say I disagree because one of my very most favorite mute killers is in The Hills Run Red, and mm-hmm. when he does speak, it's kind of mind-blowing it's mind-blowing in the hills run red because in that moment you are you are you are finally realizing that everything about that family is a farce and this dumb mongoloid character is just the most method actor you've ever seen 
And so that blows your hair back. And it's one of the best moments in that movie. I 100% agree. Yeah. But they didn't establish. There's no, there's no payoff to him talking at the end because yeah. they didn't establish anything beforehand. All we know about this character is that he's an escaped mental patient, which is, I, I suppose, in 1982 when this was released, that's good enough. But... Yeah, there wasn't enough to convince you that he was dangerous. Yeah. Not in his backstory, what little we knew, not in his actions, except that he was killing people. I, was I guess that's say, pretty dangerous. That's pretty dangerous. But But he didn't say he if he would have had a few lines to throw out and I don't I'm not going into the realm of one liners, but a couple things. If he would have spoke to himself, like crazy people Or even do ferocity sometimes. He doesn't show that until the end. Yeah. Like like I would if he had you remember when we were watching Prom Night and, and just for a mute character, just the, the body language was so yeah. fast or... Um, Dangerous, lethal. And, uh, the town that dreaded sundown. Talk yeah. about a character that's just so angry. And determined or, to kill you. Or, or a character that talks, but then the worm turns and it's this frightening rage in the midst of killing uh, Frank from... Uh, maniac, yeah, yeah, like like that is like I, I, like if you brought that intensity to it, this was so slow and and measured, which is is not. I mean, it's not wrong, and there's lots of examples in horror where the killers do that. I just think that in terms of making a regular clothes guy that's not wearing a costume that doesn't have a mask that is wielding a big drill, I need more of like an aggressive performance to feel fearful or to feel intensity now some people might argue well this is come on guys like this there, there's this is supposed to be more of a parody and this is supposed to be more comedic i'm like i get that but you 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 can't have it if you're going to say that you need horror elements more than violence for it to be a comedy horror you need at least some intensity and some scares yeah and you can just do jump scares which they do in this movie like the cat in the closet and which is I love it. Like, that's fucking fantastic. Where you're just walking up to a closed closet door and the cat jumps out. Other people would be like, oh, that was a cheap shot. I'm like, that's adorable. I love that. Yeah. yeah and the cat was is. super cute. So I, Cat I'm... in the Cupboard is, is kind of a classic jump yeah. scare movie. Now, we, we've kind of got derailed in the plot there, but here comes in Moose. Good old Moose. He wants to... Yeah, because if there's one thing that the killer is really good at, it's sneaking. Okay? Oh, yeah. So he has positioned himself somewhere in the house. And... So at this point, we're not really exactly sure where he is. We, th- we have an idea of where he is. But then, inevitably, as girls do, they're going to sneak. One of them wants to sneak a boy in to oh, this all-girl yeah. slumber party. Yeah. And that's Moose. And she has him bring his car into the garage, which I don't understand how these girls wouldn't hear that. This is another thing where I'm like, wouldn't they notice mm-hmm. a car pulling in the garage? Do mm-hmm. these girls not notice anything? <laughs> well, Suspend disbelief, Lydia. Well, they, they, they have, you know, they've been smoking some some of that good, kind, khaki-lacky. Maui-wowie. The Maui-wowie. Khaki-lacky. <laughs> it's from the earth, Lydia. Freaky-fracky. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. they're a little baked. They're, they've been having some beers. So perhaps they're just, you know, low and lazy. Mm-hmm. They've got the munchies. They're going to order pizza. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Maybe that's why Moose is there. Well, he looks like a dude that probably likes pizza. Not to say that he's like overweight or anything like that. He looks very fit and in shape. It's just he looks like he probably likes pizza because who doesn't? And by the way, listeners, in case you're wondering, 
I would move heaven and earth for a pizza right now. I'm so hungry. He's been saying this since the movie started. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Anyways, so we have this scene in the garage, and Diane uh, is in the garage now with her boyfriend, Moose, because she... His Moose, name's not actually Moose. No, it's so, not actually yeah. Moose. It's just... I'm, I'm and the guys outside are actually named Archie and Jughead. <laughs> Archie, Jughead, and Moose is what we're using. Yeah, that's because they're the Archies to me. This is woman in hormones, so who gives a fuck about what the guys' names are, right? Yeah, for yeah, once, can doing. we just like not give a fuck? Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, everybody. So Diane and, and her and her and her boyfriend are getting together now. They already kind of busted her on the phone. They know she's been talking to her boyfriend. Boo boo. <laughs> That's what she calls him, boo boo, and they make fun of her for it. Yeah, I know. Like anyone would. If I caught anybody calling anyone else boo boo, what if his fucking name is boo boo? Look, man, unless the person calling that person boo-boo is named fucking Yogi, I don't want to fucking hear it, all okay, right? that's fair. <laughs> Sorry, I just imagine, like, Yogi Bear having sex with boo-boo now. Why? Hey, boo-boo, it's time for some intercourse. That was the last episode. The pedos. <laughs> the big pedos. Well, hang on a sec. Was boo-boo a little bear? Well, he wasn't a cub, was he? He was just he was, short. I thought he was a cub. I thought he was just short. Oh... Anyways, back to this movie. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. I don't know why they wouldn't have caught on because they already knew that she was going to... They had an idea she was probably going to try and sneak her boyfriend around. Mm-hmm. But she wants to go and get a beer, quote-unquote, and... Because she doesn't want to have sex in a car in the garage because she feels she could get caught. And so this guy, very interested in having sex with his girlfriend, is just, well, let's come back to my place. My parents won't be home for hours. And so they want to go off. Well, she tries to fool her friends, and they're kind of like, okay, yeah, she wants a beer, quote-unquote. See you see later. And then she leaves. By the time she gets back, her boyfriend's head, well, just it, it just comes right off. Well, this is what I wanted to know. This guy's drill both is a, a boring weapon and a slashing weapon in this movie. Like, he slashes it like he's wielding a machete. Yeah, because they don't know how drills work in this <laughs> realm, obviously, because the repair woman isn't very good with one either. And there's a portion with a girl looking for weapons that she holds up a drill bit like it's an alien fucking fragment. This? It's an artifact from a fucking bygone race. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't know what drills are. In primitive symbols scrawled all over it. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so this this is a magic drill. It was. It... It's like his magic wand, if you will. It's pretty magical. If, like, a wand's only function was to slice people open, like Christmas hams. But it seems to work to decapitate a guy. I don't know. It would take him about a half hour kind of holding the hair and drilling the drill, sort of like... You'd have to saw with the drill on probably the highest speed at that, because you're going to get caught up in all kind of cartilage, and it's a really big gauge drill, too. So it's got, like, very, like large separation between the spiral teeth, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to definitely get hung up on that vertebrae unless you're going like Mach 9 and holding that head up. You probably want all that moose weight holding it plumb. I'm thinking about this way too much, aren't I? Well, and you're also going into graphic detail and it's a little disturbing, but I will agree with you there that I think it would take too much time. Now, he uses other weapons in the movie, but only as a desperate desperation moves. When when he's struggling with somebody and he absolutely needs to, to pull a different weapon, he'll use other people's weapons against them. But primarily, he's concerned with using the drill. Well, to give him the benefit of the doubt, he is in a garage. So maybe he used another 
stupid weapon to make the job ten times harder, like, I don't know, a pool noodle. It's true. This gives us one of the most iconic scenes of the movie, though, is her, uh, Diane, sitting down and, like, whimpering with him standing over him with the shot between his legs and his big honk and drill just, like, dangling between his legs. Yeah. Symbolism. Yeah, very reminiscent of the front cover, which has the three girls cowering between those V-shaped legs and the giant tool. Yeah. His member, if you will. Yeah. Dangling penis-like. One might say. Well, kind of off to the side. It's kind of like someone well, else's mine, penis. <laughs> mine, mine does that. It kind of sifts to the, yeah, to the one yeah. side. It's a hard left back yeah. into the frame. Yeah. Yeah. But it is as scary. It is where they're looking up at the killer with fear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nice shot, honestly. Yeah, it really, really is. Before she meets her grisly end. Yeah. Now, again, she honks the horn and she screams at the top of her lungs. And people think they hear something. Not in the house, because they're making blender drinks. Yeah, they were. And I had to ask while we are watching this, have you ever, like, you're, you're using a blender or something really loud, or like a skill saw or something, I don't know, something fucking loud. Yeah, all the and, skill saws I use in my house. Yeah. And hair dryers. And yeah. hair dryers, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Put them all on at once. And you like, maybe it's because I've watched, not going to not say too many horror movies, because there's impossible. no such there's thing. That's There's no such thing. Yeah. But a lot of them, yeah. so like maybe I'll be like using a blender, a hairdryer, something really super loud, and I'll think I hear something, and I know I don't, but I turn it off anyway, because I'm like, this is the part in the horror movie where I get dead if I don't, or someone else is getting killed and I'm not hearing them, so I need to turn it off, and then I'm like, oh yeah, real life isn't a horror movie, and then I go back to what I'm doing. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, sometimes. I remember one time when I was locked in my... Locked. I was at my cottage, and it was very late at night. And the thing about my cottage is it doesn't have any electricity at all. Or no plumbing either. Basically how I describe it to people, it's the nicest camping you can possibly do. Because it is a very nice building. Um, I was there by myself. It was the first time ever I had spent the night by myself in a cabin in the woods. Could you imagine barely because i know how terrified you are of that scenario and so there i am reading uh, i was reading a comic book and i was uh the light was um everything's lit by um kerosene lamps and for some reason i had two going one the one one the front of the cottage and one near the back just so like everything's sort of lit from both sides and they both started to go out at the same time and then they both went out I was like, motherfuck. And so it is now pitch black inside of my cottage. And I I, you, I can't even see my hand in front of my face. Mm-hmm. It's that dark. And I'm stumbling and stumbling. And I, and I think to myself, okay, well, I have candles at my disposal. I think I know where they are. Uh, I'll stumble through and I'll get them. And I, I had stick matches. And so I could, like, do that. And just as I was about to strike the match, the irrational part of my brain was saying to myself, this is where I strike the match. And the fucking stringy-haired ghost girl is going to be right in front of my fucking face. The creatures from Pitch Dark will be surrounding you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'll just be like, oh, here we go. Like, like it'll actually happen, right? And then so I strike the match. And, of course, good news, everyone. Everything was fine. Because life isn't a horror movie. Exactly. No matter how much I want it to be. Yeah. And luckily, this horror movie is within the realm of horror movie and it does have that sort of extra invasion of real life where the people across the road 
can hear the fucking screaming and the honking. But the people in the house with the blender going can't hear a fucking thing. Yeah, but don't you worry because Courtney is on the case. This is another reason I like her. Yeah. Now, I don't think she's really concerned for their welfare. I think she wants to know if they're fucking and having kinky sex because she's like, do you think they're up to something freaky over there? She's super into sex. And I know what she means. She's super into it. Pretty much, yeah. Especially the the darker, weirder nature, the more fun aspect of the activity. Yeah, she won't have anybody kink shame her. No, she's already had a conversation with her boyfriend, question mark, on the phone about French kissing. Yeah. Fascinating. It's a fascinating <laughs> glimpse into the younger 13-year-old sister psyche. I like it. <laughs> they do it really, really well. Now, did she occur to you as, as a girl who's 13 years old? To me, the actress seemed too old to be playing 13, so. No, I think everyone sort of hits age appropriateness more so than most horror films, more so than camp slashers where everyone's 45 years old playing 12. <laughs> fucking stupid but no i i found her to be age appropriate i think she looked 13 ish years old really i uh, she struck me as an as older she struck me as 18 or 19 years old honestly is it that scowl those arms crossed yes the scowl the arms crossed she was fairly tall i felt so super sarcastic which usually isn't something developed fully in someone until they hit the teenage years yeah maybe yeah just wise beyond her years it's possible now they don't hear anything, and they think it's all business as usual. But guess what? Archie and Jughead have been found out because they've been trying to scare the girls for some reason. Pranking them. Pranking them gets girls hot, right? Like you said, they're an inch away from a panty raid. <laughs> I'm serious. It's fucking ridiculous. But the what I liked about it was the ladies were in good humor about it, and they let them in. But I love how... When they're in the kitchen with all the ladies and, and, you know, the ladies are still in their sleepwear, which just seems to be oversized jerseys and stuff like that. Um, And they kind of like, when they looked at each other and they were like shaking with like, oh yeah, this is totally awesome. I felt like a big spinning graphic of the word radicals should just be hitting the front of the screen. (laughs) Wow, dude, we totally made it. Radical. I know, right? Look at their bazongas. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what was going on. It was kind of cute, though, but at least one of them got fucking punched in the eye. He did get punched in the eye real good. Yeah, yeah. That's what you get for spooking a chick. Yeah, socked in the eye. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, the ladies are having a pretty good time, and the boys are there, so it's kind of... The dynamic has changed a little bit, but they're still having a good time and it served to sort of quell the fears of the girls at this point so any weird noises that they'd heard anything lurking outside is explained away sort of like when you own a cat or a dog you can blame every single noise you hear on that animal yeah it's true it's a comfort yeah i certainly know that when i grew up in a house of cats anytime i heard anything i was like that's definitely the cat right is that stringing sharpening a fucking saw blade next door yeah that's definitely the cat yeah. Cutting the telephone wire, the cat. Yeah. Hey, 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 stop cutting the telephone wire. Don't make me shake an empty pop can full of pennies at you. You can hear a circle etch at the window at a suction cup. Hey, hey, don't make me get the no no can. <laughs> so they have, it is kind of like okay to have these guys here now. And guess what? The best fucking thing in the world is about to happen. These guys are going to get some fucking sweet, steamy za. I'm expecting you to say cowabunga now. We've gone through radical. I even said, what, did I say bazongas? You said bazongas, yeah. which was totally tubular. In all seriousness, this is where 
the, I would say the most innocent victim of them all got it. The fucking pizza guy opened up the door. Ooh, pizza time. Both his fucking eyes got drilled out. Second to the uh, phone repair woman, because a phone repair woman doesn't, you know, accept as much of a unnecessary risk that a pizza delivery person does. Because pizza delivery houses. is fucking terrifying. Yeah, you go to, like, weird houses all the time. All the fucking time. So, yeah, okay, I sort of agree. I feel bad, sure. Okay, I feel bad for the pizza guy. He says, like, look, man, I'm just trying to make my, like, it was the 80s, so what was he making, like, 350 an hour or something like that? Probably something like that. Plus tips. Or buck and they paid his gas. Yeah. Who knows? But how how would you drill out both of his eyes at the front door? Because he probably pulled up. Well, well, before he dropped dead. I don't know. Like, It's just like when we were watching Sleepaway Camp and it was how could that girl... Was she standing up in the shower before she fell out the curtain? Yeah. No it, explanation. It, it's no real explanation. And I don't really feel you always need one because I guess the point of it was to be as shocking as possible. If you were to open that door and the piece of delivery guy was lying face down already, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, obviously, seeing a, a dead body would shock anybody. But I think the horrific aspect of it, you need to see a man with his eyes gouged out holding a pizza and then him falling forward into the door. Now, one of the craziest things that, about that scene that I don't think a lot of people really talk about is the fact that when they all react to this horrific event, the first thing they do is drag the body in the house as if they have committed a crime. Like, if you notice it, they the, yeah. the boys drag him forward a little bit the other guy grabs his legs fucking flips it this way and then they slam the door closed like, really quickly like, too, now like, that you like, mentioned like, it. like it's like oh we don't want anyone to see this i'm like why don't touch it you literally are at the at a crime scene now none of you committed this murder so either you're trying to barricade yourselves in or fucking don't because there's a body on your street and people will call the police yeah but they haven't paid for this pizza yet Oh shit! I didn't. They're think basically of that. stealing the pizza. They're basically, That's what I think it is. which is a crime. Maybe they planned it all along. They just didn't, you know. Him being dead is like a happy accident. Mm. It's gonna become even more of a happy accident later on, but not before the boys get their fucking their plan, because they switch from the Archies to Scooby Doo, <laughs> because their plan is what we need to do is split up. Yeah, which is, oh my god, there's this one scene with the two boys talking about, you know, we got to figure out what's going on, and they decide to split up, and they give each other such a tender look. Yeah. And it's just them alone. Well, they're bros. They are bros. They're bros, Bros can kiss. Yeah, bros can kiss. Yeah. Bro job, bro job. I wish, I wish. That would would elevate this movie in my estimation. Completely. And it's just the way that they look at one another. Maybe they're just so used to working opposite a girl in a scene like this in a film that it's become second nature to want to kiss your co-star. Yeah. I don't know. It's like I feel like, hug at least. I got that tension. Maybe they stood so long outside that window watching topless women and getting hard-ons together that those lines are blurred. I was like, let's just do this. Yeah. But they didn't. They didn't. But they do split up, which I suppose 
is one of those things that if you're going to be making fun of a slasher movie, that's one of the things that you mentioned. That's like that's like something. And basically, I want to say when you're making fun of it, basically, I think to myself, if I saw them make fun of it in Scream, I feel like, which is like the equivalent of like old grandmas on YouTube doing a popular dance craze and then you're just like okay it's officially it's dead now yeah you can't do that dance anymore because it has reached like you know when you see like your politicians doing the Macarena you're like okay guys you can stop doing the Macarena now yeah yeah and let's split up has gone meta and beyond yeah now from a script called originally don't open the door Mm -hmm. you would expect a lot more of these yeah, but there's a couple of scenes where they do specifically don't open the door because one of the one of the boys uh, gets drilled through. Uh, it's a really nice uh, effect, actually. Got drilled through his shoulder, through the back. Yeah, and I would almost argue that it seemed planted, like he was trying, like that, like uh, Russ was just trying to wound this character as opposed to kill him, so he could drag himself to the doors to force the girls to open it. Although he seems to have access to the house from many, there's many ways into the house, so I don't know if that's really true, but it seemed kind of like he was baiting them to open the front door, almost the way a sniper would snipe someone in a non-lethal area to try to coax other people to try to rescue so he can snipe more people, basically. Uh, I don't know if they really do that. I've just seen that in movies, so I just take it as gospel. Um, and then the, the the second, this is this is a really good uh, death scene for the other boy because of the fact that it's a struggle. Then now they all once they formulate their plans, they pass out kitchen knives. Everyone has is armed, which I like because I'm like, yeah, that's right. I, I, I was like, look, if you are being besieged by a lone maniac and there's fucking six of you, like you're in a kitchen. A kitchen is full of pointy things i mean yes it takes a certain psychological gumption to use a knife to kill somebody and i always want to point that out to people who are watching horror movies where you're watching a character fight off another character and say well i don't understand why they can't overwhelm them and kill this guy and and sometimes it's annoying and it glares out to me but i always want to point out that a lot of times you're dealing at least in narrative a, a person who is absolutely 100 percent willing to kill you versus you are you really prepared to kill somebody? But the thing with these kids is that they're also traumatized, right? They're not thinking very clearly. I mean, you ask me on any given day if I'm prepared to kill somebody, and I'm like, hell yeah. But they're also very traumatized. There are six of them, so maybe they're passing the buck in a way, and they're nervous because they maybe think that someone else will step up to the task of getting free, alerting authorities, or killing the killer. Mm-hmm. They're definitely standing around waiting for someone to have a concrete solution. The first people with a plan are these two boys and so everyone seems fine with the, woof, okay, that's the plan. That's what we're doing. No one really, really even argues with it. Not, like, maybe a brief conversation where it's just like, well, this is how we're going to do it. Even though you could think, it's like, well, there's there's a lot of us. He can't kill all of us if we're all just fucking rush him. Like, he's got a drill. Like, he doesn't He doesn't have, like, a fucking, like, a Uzi where he's going to mow us down. This is a super down. magic drill, though. It might as well be a samurai sword. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But the, this death uh, that, that's coming up, I really liked because during the struggle, the uh, Russ loses his drill, and now he has to take the implement, the knife that uh, Archie or Jughead has, and... It, it swaps to a POV shot. 
and it shows the the downward knife strike and it's very frantic and this is probably my favorite kill in the movie because it just seems down and dirty and visceral and and the cartoony nature of a slice and dice and giant drill is not there and we really just have a a a, a man a teenage boy and a kitchen knife and it's just that POV shot. It's very good, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the, and and the guy's general reaction to being stabbed seems, you know, he's in pain. He's terrified and is very weakly. Just ah, arms in front. I don't want this to happen. So I was like, yeah, this seems uh, authentic to me. Yeah, and it's that um, it's a kill that you normally see played out on a female character. So it's mm-hmm. really cool to see a male on male killer in this ilk of eighties horror with that penetration with a knife kill from a killer that we know likes to use a drill. Now, when these ladies are by themselves in the house uh, that left to their own devices, they're sitting in a circle with knives out, and it thus begins one of the greatest scenes in cinema history, Lydia. It is. Now... Second to the scene where we discovered it was Sylvester Stallone on the front of that Playgirl magazine, this is probably my... Second favorite scene. This is my absolute favorite scene. Jackie, one of the ladies that have been in the house, uh, doesn't really seem all that scared about the fact that there's a killer that has killed their friends and has killed the pizza delivery guy. She's like, my arms are tired. I don't want to hold this knife anymore. How much longer do we have to wait? And then she's, she's like, look, I'm really hungry. And that's right then I'm like, yeah, girl, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm hungry too. Yeah. And then... For pizza. For pizza. Well, you know what? They have a pizza. It just so happens to have a dead body on it. Yeah, he's hanging on to it like a good pizza delivery guy. They haven't paid for it yet. Yeah, I know. And she just crawls over to the pizza and everyone's like, what are you doing? And like, she <laughs> pulls his limp, lifeless arm off that pizza box Puts the pizza on his body like a little table. That's the part I like the most when she just flops the pizza box onto his body. His body, and then just takes a piece of pizza out. She's like, "Like I, I feel really bad. I do." <laughs> That's a good line. Like I, I just, I look, guys. I'm just, I'm hungry. I don't quite believe her. Oh my god! I was like, I've never fallen in love so hard with a woman in my entire life. It is a beautiful scene. It it's beautiful so scene. fucking good. And it is where this movie's playing with humor yeah. and gallows humor oh, and yeah. horror. Yeah. Very well, I might add. It, yeah. it, it's a it's a really, really, really good scene. The only, like, there's a few of these scenes that are very comedic, very darkly comedic. They usually aren't scored whatsoever. There's no boop-de-boo fucking comedic music. There's no dramatic music to make it, like, sarcastically funny or anything like that. The only time that there's, I think, a sound effect is the running up the stairs with a skill saw. <laughs> that's plugged in. sort of like a boing noise. But that's, again, no one laughs. Yeah, it's if- not funny <laughs> you know if this movie was a little bit more slack uh, slapstick you know that by the time she reached the end of that chord she would have like flown backwards like you and know the what I'm saw would have been stuck in the wall and yeah, like, jittering yeah. around and... <laughs> yeah now maybe this explains a little bit about ross in a way now that i think about it is that 
apparently this is written as a comedy. So he had a script in his hand. I don't mm-hmm. know how much changes were made to the script necessarily or if this was all like a direction change on set where they sucked a lot of the comedy out of it. But if it were slapstick and there were like these comedic little soundtracks and stuff like that and, and, and sound effects and the crap, wouldn't Russ make a lot more sense, his delivery? It would make a lot more sense. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I, I want to score a slapstick soundtrack to this mm-hmm. just for funsies. And having like the whirling letters come up at the screen when the two guys are like facing each other in the kitchen, like, yeah, bro. And I want it to say radical. Okay. It's like, like I have a job now. I have yeah. a project. Fucking spinning pink radical text yeah. with like spiky energy around it. Yeah, I'm going to cut this for you, Wes. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Anyway, no, I was just thinking it does explain Russ's delivery a lot, if it were far more comedic than it ended up being. And I'm fucking glad it's not. It's about this time where Valerie and Courtney think that they should go over there because of a call about... Because they were on the phone with... Um, was it Rachel? the Their gym teacher? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, they definitely were. Yeah, the, and and she somehow heard I can't, it's fallen out of my head but basically Valerie went over to check on the girls yeah because the gym teacher thought there was something wrong um, their phone line was cut far before that I think though it was yeah because when they had called they were calling the police right when their phone line was cut across the road but mm. either way uh, Val and Courtney figured there's something up and they're worried for them yeah. And they had definitely heard screaming. Well, Courtney had heard screaming. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Jackie, Trish, and Cam are, are now uh, holed up. Uh, they hear Valerie at the door. Or they and or they don't hear Valerie at the door. They hear um, uh, they hear one of the boys, the, 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 the limped boy, now trying to get to the door. And they're like, oh, should we help him or not? And then that's where Russ realizes that he's not dead, drills him down. They see the blood under the thing. Now... Then the second time that this happens when Valerie's at the door, and that's when Jackie springs to let her in because if we don't let her in while the killer's outside, so we need to bring her in here to protect her. That's when you instantly swing the door open, uh, like a samurai sword, katana swipe right across her neck with that razor-sharp drill. (laughs) And and Jackie's down for the count. My heart broke. I know it did. I was just like, girl, just want some pizza. She wanted to have... Undigested pizza spilling out of her guts. Still hungry? I'm starving. Okay. But anyway, now we're... we're like, and then it's about this time in the film where you realize this movie has a massive body count. It does. A it massive does. body count. He has like a little little like makeshift body pit going on. He does because he keeps filling up his trunk or the trunk, Moose's car, with bodies. And he's like, one, two. He's counting them. Yeah, it's only a five-body trunk, like the three-camper pot from the previous film. What he needs <laughs> is a pot, and then he could stick them all in a pot. It would be like an annex. To well, he trunk. needs a big, juicy van. A big, ju- he. Why isn't he packing one in the van? He could fit so much bodies in the van. Considering how many people he's killing. And he could pose them, too, because he likes doing this. He's sort of one of those poser killers, like the pose the bodies. Yeah, it's true. So he could have all. he could have like a little tea party set up in the back of the van. It'd be awesome. That's what I would do. <laughs> He's just not thinking. This is one of those scenes coming up where uh, Kim and Trish are in the bedroom where this guy is so stealthy that he gets into the second story window 
without a fucking noise. These, like a ninja. Like a fucking ninja and creeps all the It's not until he's right fucking there that he manages to hit the one floorboard in the house that creaks when you step on it. Now, this also, I skipped over this part, but this is also where, for some reason, and this was like the weirdest left field shit for me. I know I talked about it previously, uh, but I vaguely. Now I'm going to get into it. It's where Trish comes up with the idea that maybe Valerie is somehow in cahoots with Russ. Which is crazy. It doesn't make any sense to me. I was like, at no point has there any been, has there been any indication that these two people know each other, except for the fact that they don't really have an explanation about why Valerie is in the house, except for the fact that they've been screaming, hooting, and hollering, and there's a killer out there, so maybe she's going over there to check on them. Yeah, it didn't dawn on them that maybe she was worried for their welfare because... No. She hadn't heard anything but screams. And they even, uh, Kim even says it seems a little extreme to not be invited to a party. But she was invited to the party. She chose not to go. Yeah. And so, but maybe she feels like she was getting revenge. They felt that she was getting revenge on them because they mildly teased her and she seemed visibly upset in the change room. And then when she left, uh, and now that all of a sudden people are dying, oh, maybe her and this guy teamed up. But it seemed really far-fetched to me. It seemed like... Absolutely a, ridiculous. It seemed like a weird reason to have them not go to Valerie the moment they saw her. Well, I guess when the door flung open and then Jackie got killed, I guess... Like, I don't know. I, again... And they haven't been suspicious of fucking anything up until this point. So yeah, it's not, I know. like, in their character to be suspicious of everything. No, it's like several people have died in this film already before they even realized what was fucking happening. And then yeah. several more people have died in front of them in a rapid succession, and it doesn't even seem like Valerie would have anything to fucking do with it. Mm-hmm. But, I, uh, but I guess, like you said, if they're scared and they're not really thinking clearly, and all this fucking stimuli is happening at once, yeah, maybe you just are drawing some weird conclusions. She doesn't really seem convinced of it, but it just seems like a weird thing to add to the movie for really no purpose. Because we as the audience know that's not a fact. We've been seeing we've been seeing uh, Valerie and Courtney interacting with each other all night. They have yeah. nothing to do with this. Absolutely nothing to do. And it's not even like they've been sitting... It's not like the group of girls have been sitting over in their house talking about Val all night. Not at all. Not so at it's all. not like any... Way, and there's nothing to like... Sp- Spark this fucking suspicion whatsoever. Yeah, it doesn't even seem like, oh yeah, we all hate her, right guys? Right? No, it's not even... Like like I said, like these women are all very pleasant with each other. Yeah. They tease each other, but I mean not in a malicious way, I yeah. feel. No, they don't. So it like the line makes absolutely no sense. Just filler babble, maybe? Yeah, something left over from an earlier draft. Content. Or... Since Mr. Content isn't around. Well, what happened to Mr. Content? Well, I can tell you... Beforehand, when he was hanging out, what was it, Diana or Linda before she was killed? Not Linda, uh, but I think it was Diana. Or someone, one of them, Trish. I think it was definitely Trish. She was out... Getting firewood. Getting firewood. And all of a sudden, there's a giant snail. And I mean like a really big snail. Like escargot style snail. Yeah, and all of a sudden, a big old butcher knife comes down on the fucking snail. A butcher knife. Yeah. Oh my god, what the fuck is that? For, and, and it's just like... It's Mr. Content with a fla- <laughs> with a flashlight and a butcher knife killing snails. They're suspicious that their neighbor who has come to help them is in cahoots with a killer that has offed half of them. Yeah. But they're not suspicious of their Hawaiian-shirted, middle-aged, obviously swinger-inclined, creep-ass neighbor 
creeping around outside with a butcher knife and a fucking flashlight. Killing snails. Because he before he gets it, he sees another snail. And he's like, nah, are snails a pest? Nah, like, do you have to... Well, if you have lettuce in your garden, yeah. That's crazy to me. Did he say anything about his garden? No, he was just like... Did he look like a gardener? It didn't even, there was no explanation about why he was killing those snails. Why he killed something like 50 of them, wasn't it? He said some... Like, he, he yelled at some number when he killed another snail. And then he saw a snail, but then he got killed. Maybe he's smiting them. But I feel like he fell on that snail, and he probably killed the last snail. Oh, probably. It was like... It was like... It was like... It was actually kind of beautiful. Like, narratively speaking, they killed each other. Because I feel like maybe... The snail was controlling Russ, psychically. Because everything is connected in death. And this is now a Werner Herzog movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you know the score. But anyways, back when we move forward back in the story, because we forgot all about Mr. Content, once fucking uh, Russ the ninja jumps into the fucking window, uh, he manages to, to kill Kim, which sets up one of the funniest scenes in the movie. Because when Valerie and Courtney eventually get there, because Russ loses, in this giant house, Russ loses Trish, the lone survivor of this slumber party. Not really. No, there's more survivors. But she does fit the the role of final girl. Yeah. There's yeah. more survivors for sure, but this was her slumber party. Oh, out of this household? Yeah. Yeah, of the people that came over for the slumber party, she's the last lady standing. Um, I do want to interject in that scene where he is coming up among the girls in the bedroom... They think they've barricaded him out, but he snuck in behind them, and he's sneaking up on them with his crazy look, his or as crazy pe- his, as his peacock like crazy peacock look. He's gonna peck their eyes out with his super fucking dick drill and his denim, you know, mm-hmm. flashing in the moonlight. He reminds me a fucking hell of a lot of Bob from Twin Peaks. Now, if you see the scenes of Bob in Twin Peaks where he's in Laura Palmer's bedroom. Yeah. It's a very girl's bedroom kind of mm-hmm. set. And he is this like menacing interstellar rapist kind of guy. Uh, it's the denim and the look and the, you know, he could be your Uncle Jack. You know, he really could be any dude. Except Bob does look a little more menacing with the long hair and he's a little more greasy looking. Like his, like his facial mm-hmm. features a little more menacing. Russ is more clean cut. Way more clean cut. But there is something, like, inherently menacing about a guy with a weapon in the denim that looks like a clean-cut, like, older uncle kind in a frilly girl's bedroom. Like, oh, it yeah. is just a... That is the most unsettling thing about that particular scene, I think. Yeah. No, I agree. It sets up um, the fridge scene, which is great. It is. It's another comedic scene. Yeah. My, it, this is my number one favorite scene. This is this is my number two scene. This is where... You like the pizza a lot, right? I, well, I, I, I love Jackie and I love the pizza scene because I, I just think it's just so morbid and hilarious because we've all been there, right? When we're really hungry. I like Courtney in her... You know, weird deviant little sister role, <laughs> and that what role she plays in the whole fridge scene. I like that. Yeah, because she when when Valerie and Courtney, who they told Courtney, she told Courtney to stay behind. That's her kid's sister, and like, there's no sense of going over there, especially if there was trouble. But the house is dead. Uh, pardon the pun, and they can't really seem to find anybody. And so Courtney shows up and she's like let's raid the fridge and so she i just want a beer (laughs) yeah so she opens the fridge and we see as the audience the body sort of like slide out 
of Kim, and then she cl- like, no, close the fridge, and she closes the fridge. It's like, oh, come on, just one thing, and she opens the door again, and the body slides out again, and then, <laughs> and then you think it's over with after, I think, the third time, and then Courtney comes back, she's like, ah, screw it, I'm gonna raid the fridge, and then the body comes out, and she gets the big scare, and Valerie comes in, looks at the body, does the big scare, and I was like, oh, man, that's fucking fantastic. Yeah, super hilarious. Because we were set up for it. And almost to the point where we thought that that was going to be our own little secret, right? <laughs> that there's a body in the fridge and they're none the wiser. Mm-hmm. But then my pal Courtney goes and decides that she's going to, like, yeah, unleash the body for all to see. It's kind of hilarious. That's my number one favorite scene. Everyone seems to like this pizza guy. I know that you like the pizza aftermath. Yeah. As it were. You like the morbidity and the gallows humor of slapping a fucking hot pizza on top of this cold body. Yeah. But most people seem to like the whole pizza guy at the door with the eyes missing. I don't know why that's appealing to anybody. It's like, it, it, it's a good uh, iconic scene. I it's, it's, a, it's easily the most shocking scene for the characters in the movie because it's the first time that collectively they learn that there's a killer in their midst. Yeah. The, the, the effects look okay, and you're not really expecting it because like the idea that they ordered pizza and there's a pizza guy coming is such an afterthought. And, and, it's like, and you've never seen this character before this moment. That's so, a regular slumber party thing, too. Yeah, and so you don't ever see the pizza guy alive. You only ever see the pizza guy with his eyes drilled out and he falls forward dead. So I think it just makes people howl a little bit with laughter. I just think the aftermath is so fucking perfect. And this, uh, the guy, the guy that played the pizza guy, he got a lot of play for, for basically just playing like a nameless dead body pizza guy. Right. Cause he got to be in his death scene. He got to be in the pizza scene afterwards. He got to be in the falling down the stairs scene. Mm-hmm. And then, so he got to be involved in like, her running up the stairs with the with the saw and then the cord making her fall backwards. So he, he's in the movie quite a bit for a nameless body. This house has a phenomenon that I can really only think of as like a bug zapper phenomenon. Like flypaper? Flypaper. Because... The and Venus this, fly trap, if yeah, you Yeah. Because once uh, Russ realizes that just more young, nubile girls are filling up this house by the minute, he can't see... Like, you can't kill him fast enough. Girls just keep showing up. Keep showing up. It's like they're gravitating. And so he's now going to try to to run his own grift, as it were, because... And this is like one of the dumbest... Like, like I get it. No, you know what? I strike that. No, after, I don't like it at all either. Like, I, I And I don't like that it's... He smiles, which freaks me out. Because he smiles and he's like... He's got like this fucking wicked ass... Like fucking... Mother Goose bridge troll trick that he's gonna fucking play on them, where he is is just gonna lie down in the living room, and like just slowly puts a blanket over his head, and he's just gonna wait because he's already made himself known to like he can't find Trish. Who knows what the fuck she is? He can't find Courtney and Valerie anymore because he's scared the shit out of them and they've gone running. Um, and so he's just gonna lie down there with a with a blanket on him. Well, good news because one more lady is gonna fucking show up to this house. Their gym coach. Yeah, because she's become concerned because yeah. she had Hasn't heard, heard screaming and then she didn't hear anything from next door. So she's gonna go check on them herself. I guess this is what you do in those days where there's like no, there's no like check ins on Facebook. Yeah, there's no yeah. Internet to like they haven't look. posted anything to Twitter in a while. Yeah, yeah. So better go over there. Better go. Better go see. They're not live tweeting their slumber party. I'm glad people don't actually do that. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to have a summer party and live tweet the whole thing. Well, this is their coach and these are her girls. I have no idea how that world works. Uh, I don't know. Like, they, they were playing basketball, so, like... I don't know if I, like it, I don't know if it was like they're the basketball team or if it was just gym class and today we're playing basketball. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know. Anyways, um, she shows up and then pulls the bl- for some reason. It's like I'm pulling the blanket off of this guy. I mean, she doesn't know he's under there. And then he, the look on his face is like, ah, my plan worked. And this is like one of those little leftovers from the comedy script that used to exist. I suppose. I guess so. Because mm-hmm. it's so ridiculous. But anyway, Rachel fights him off. She's got a, a, a fire poker. She's going to wield against this stupid fucking weapon that this guy has. So it's sort of like sword versus chainsaw or something? Kind of, but not nearly as cool. No, not like, at all. You can't invoke like a, like macabre in a scene like this. No, it's kind of like flopsy-mopsy fire poker versus <laughs> weird-ass drill. Yeah, weird-ass drill. Um, and then uh, Courtney like does her move. Which is tripping him. And then, God, it, like Trish fucking flies in. Yeah, which is hilarious. And I only wish that she did this at least one or two more times because yeah. then she would be a thing in this movie and it would be fucking. I would be rolling on the floor laughing by the last time she did it. Because, like, her her hair just wild and she's like, ah, and comes in with a knife, stabs him. This guy could take a lot of fucking damage because he, he gets beaten with a baseball bat previously we've seen him get clunked with that fire poker a bunch of times and then yeah. we saw him straight up get stabbed all the way to the fucking handle with yeah a, with a, right with, to the hilt a couple times by an angry woman yeah like with, like, with, with a kitchen knife and these are fit girls too oh yeah they're like they're all young and fit and 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 anyways and so for some reason rachel's like no stop get off and maybe because she's like you don't actually want to be responsible for killing a human being yeah it's the only reason i can think of uh and then get like and then of course the the fucking katana drill (laughs) slices across her gut she's down for the fucking count and then valerie fucking flies in and it's a pretty decent struggle that ends up with our boy russ like his drill because <laughs> she, by the way, like this whole time she's looking at drill bits, she's looking at any implement she can find. It really reminded me of that scene from Pulp Fiction where Bruce Willis is in the pawn shop and he's <laughs> he sees the baseball bat, then he sees the, the chainsaw, and then he looks up and he sees the katana and he's like, yeah, that's going to be my weapon. She's kind of doing that because the last thing she gets her hands on is this big fucking machete that like jason Voorhees should be wielding thank fucking god because she was like little tiny drill bit mm. pipe wrench yeah skill saw yeah skill the saw. worst like oh my god there were even there were way better saws there but the machete brilliant yeah a really big nasty looking machete she fucking flies in and <laughs> and, uh, and and i don't know enough about this type of thing to know I know that I've drilled things before and my drill bits have broken, but she fucking cuts the end. She uses that machete and cuts his drill, like the, the, the drill off, basically. My theory is that he's spent, let's say. Okay. He's used his drill a little too much that night. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? He's running out of juice, yeah, as gotcha. it were. I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah. And her machete... Mm-hmm. Has magical freezing power. Super cooled the metal. Yeah, made it brittle. Made mm-hmm. it brittle, and it just fell off. I would, 
<laughs> I would be fine with the, assuming that he, the fact that like he's been using this drill to drill through people and doors and all kinds of shit very aggressively. Like if the and it was a utility drill at that, so it was used probably all day every day. It was like road hard and put away wet, as my father would say. Yeah. Yes. So it basically, and like the look on his face, he seems like genuinely like, oh, <laughs> that's my, that's my implement. He's powerless without it. Yeah, I know. He loses all of his power. Then in what is honestly his best performance, she chops his fucking hand off. And first reaction from him, pain. And screaming. And then absolute blind rage. Yeah. Because, and we skipped over this, when he's stalking his prey in the, the last little bit, um, he's basically telling Trish that he loves them. It's his only bit of dialogue. Yeah. That they're um, so pretty. They're so pretty. and It takes a lot of love to do this to a person. Yeah. And so he's like, I love you. And it's, and it's, the, it's intriguing. Now, the actor had said in that thing that we had watched that um, he, had wa- he had read uh, Helter Skelter. Yeah, the um, Manson girls definitely did talk about what sort of love, like the differences between love and hate. It's a, something that um, Marilyn Manson sort of co-opted as well mm-hmm. with this not much of a difference between love and hate, two extremes mm-hmm. of the same feeling and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's uh, got other roots and other clearer thinking of the differences between love and hate. Mm-hmm. And... So he had taken a lot from what the Manson girls had to say about how they felt about the people that they killed, mm-hmm. which is an interesting tactic. Yeah. You know, coupling that with a peacock is a, a, makes for a fascinating character. Maybe mm-hmm. not as effective with the whole peacockedness ish <laughs> stuff, but um, it it is. I wish it was more expanded though, because we don't get much dialogue out of this guy. We get him counting the bodies, which I personally like as far as dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's more telling as far as where he is mentally. It seems it seems compulsive, like a, like a weird compulsive thing to do. So I can get that, like yeah, you know, like oh, I'm counting the bodies one, two, three, and then wait, wait, one, two. You know, but maybe he would even do it multiple times. Yeah, just to you know, that'd be interesting. Um, this, but, but all this little bit of dialogue made me want is I wish this guy was talking more then because if this is the dialogue that you've, that, that you have asked him to perform, I, I, I just feel like, again, going back to what I was saying, I don't mean to beat a dead horse or, or anything, but I feel like you can't really have it both ways. Like I would want this character to talk if you're going to make him talk. Yeah. We want story or no story, talking yeah. or no talking. Yeah. See his face all the time or throw a mask on it. Yeah. One of the two. Or yeah, that... I, I totally agree with that. Although it is kind of interesting. It's almost as if he drops character when his hand is severed. Mm-hmm. Or we get to see, okay, so maybe he's not so gentle. Maybe he doesn't love them. Maybe that's all a mask as well. And the counting and all that. Like all these things. What it's really hiding is this rage. And he finally says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to fucking kill you. Like yeah. he's so mad. He's like, that's my... That's my hand. The same way you would react if someone chopped off your hand. I know. You would yeah. just be absolutely You'd enraged. be shocked. You would scream in pain, and then you would fucking turn on them. Yeah. Absolutely. It is super rage. Finally. Yeah. yeah. And then, and, and that was his most intense and most, most uh, scary in the whole movie. And I, and I was like, if you brought that energy and intensity to the entire performance, through the entire 
thing. Yeah. Um, as opposed to using that little bit of dialogue and then that explosion of rage as almost like your third act reveal. Because if, if a killer is wearing a mask, mm-hmm. the third act reveal is the removal of that mask and you see who the, the killer is. If we've known from day, if we've known from real one who the killer was, then the third act reveal should be the inherent nature of this character revealed. And I guess they did that, but I, I suppose I it, the rest the beforehand I felt was so weak that I just wanted more of what I got at the end. Yeah, and I, I can't say that it's too subtle either. I think it's just purely accidental. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then he gets sliced across the tummy, and then you know he's not down and out just yet because this guy, like I said, he's wearing a lot of denim, which is practically our body armor. Practically body armor, yeah. This is why bikers wear so much of it and leather and stuff like that. But yeah, you could take a lot of damage, you know. But like once he finally is down for the count, we have uh, not a final girl. We have three survivors. Which is awesome because we get another screaming Mimi coming out of the house with a knife in her hand to stab him all over again. <laughs> which I, if that happened, if that were the third time, I would literally, I'm not joking about being rolling on the floor laughing because that yeah. would be so hilarious because she comes out from the same angle with the same face with the same screaming and the same stance and everything wild hair just like (laughs) (laughs) what they need is a wilhelm scream behind that (laughs) well it's that penetration death okay it's it's he finally gets what it was he was after all along he wanted to penetrate them all because they're so pretty and he loves them Mm -hmm. in that carnal manly way Mm-hmm. But finally, he is the one that ends up getting it with the hardest, longest, deepest thrust in the entire film. Yeah, right through his whole torso. Yeah. Then he's done. And then she just, like, flops him off, lights a cigarette, throws her 20 bucks on his chest, and says, get out of here, scram. Put your clothes on. <laughs> he comes like Cagney. <laughs> oh, you dirty rats. <laughs> She kicks him out of the bedroom like the horror he is. Oh, jeez. I like this movie. I like it, too. Uh, I was kind of kidding the fuck out of it in some spots, but I feel like this movie was made with the intention that you're supposed to kind of bust its balls a little bit. But that's kind of the fun of it, too. As horror fans, I think that when you watch certain types of horror movies that are funnier, that have continuity errors, that have ridiculous shit going on in them as it's part of the fun is to sort of kid the fuck out of them but we love them anyways right it, even though i think that russ's performance is super weird and i think that he really could use with some more iconography or something just to set him apart because i feel like the drill doesn't quite do it for me no um, the, the I, drill works i think i definitely do i wish he would have chose a different animal yeah maybe but i think that you know, for me, like it's so it's so childish. But I mean, like honestly, if they just put a, a any any kind of mask on him, even a dumb one, I'd be like, this movie is so cool. I would have been, yeah, like I said, it would propel it into the stratosphere yeah. of maze balls. He would have been fucking terrifying because we wouldn't be like, why is he moving so weirdly, and what is with these these motions he's making? You throw a mask on that, mm-hmm. and he would be like emoting through that mask Mm. that would have been fucking terrifying although it would have taken it a little more into that realm of faceless dude raping women or like wanting to rape women because i guess that's what the whole symbolism of a big drill would be right Mm -hmm. so 
with a mask on, it would have thrust him into that anonymity mm-hmm. a little too far, I think. Mm-hmm. If that's what they were going for okay. with the way that they treated Russ. Mm-hmm. I do get cut him a little bit of slack. So he chose a peacock, whatever. Maybe he was terrorized by a fucking peacock. You know, maybe he saw someone get pecked to death. Maybe The Birds was the scariest film he'd ever seen. Who knows? Mm-hmm. No, you raise an interesting point. And I suppose I didn't consider it from that angle. Look, acting is a job of choices. He made his choices. And for the people who love this movie, and I like this movie. I don't want to, anyone to think that I don't. Mm-hmm. But um, for the for the hardcore fans of the Slumber Party Massacre uh, franchise, because there's more than one. Oh, yeah. These aspects of it are really what they like about it. And, I mean, for fuck's sake, like on that little doc we watched, we watched a kid get a VHS copy of Summer Party Massacre, and he was as happy as the like the old photos and videos you see of like kids getting Super Nintendos and N64s and a Wii these days, a Wii U these days, I guess. It's that level of excitement for getting a VHS copy of the Slumber Party Massacre. So... For everyone like that, fucking rock on, man. I love you all. That's great. Yeah. No, it is It is a cool fandom to spring up around this. And I, I can totally see it. I like things in the film Pieces, which is way more comedic oh, and yeah. way more outlandish and mm. not a good movie. But the People who love Pieces love that fucking I movie. I fucking love Pieces. And I yeah. fucking love the the silly little things in it and you know this super fans out there where the performance of russ is top-notch and hilarious and dear and cherished mm-hmm. so yeah i gotta cut him i gotta cut him some slack yeah i like, and honestly when it comes to all the other characters i like all the other characters too especially obviously i love my pizza loving sister fucking jackie like like i feel like it's a bond between us you know what i'm saying yeah, like, I like the Val and Courtney relationship very, very much. Yeah, Courtney is fucking fantastic. Val is great. It's a very genuine sisterly bond. Uh, like, uh, like all the ladies do a, a fantastic job. And even you know Archie and Jughead. I'm like, I like it as much as as much as I think their reaction to like it's like two guys that have never seen a naked woman before. Yeah. Like that level of excitement for staring at women through the window. It was like a Porky's meatballs, <laughs> National Lampoon's level of fucking comedy. Oh, fuck yeah, that is yeah. that is the perfect way to fucking describe it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's enchanting and it all works like really really well together mm-hmm. in this whole film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that they're regular chicks. You know, you look at the sequels. Um, as much fun as they are. Oh yeah, for sure. They're populated by centerfolds basically centerfolds mm-hmm. and this has a little bit more innocence to it for sure mm-hmm. for sure between all the the nudity and, and and the killing yes tasteful 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 and innocent nudity and killing and pizza eating oh yeah yeah what do we got next for them up next we have the btk fan request from mm-hmm. chris it is roman polanski's repulsion with the impeccable and gorgeous Catherine Deneuve. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to that. And it's a girl I can relate to. And why is that? You'll see. okay. <laughs> and then after that, a total 360. 180? 
It's a 180. It's a 180. 360 would be right back to repulsion. We're going to do repulsion again. <laughs> or The Tenant. Or Rosemary's Baby. Something like that. No, we're going to do 180 and we're going to do Condemned. Mm. A modern horror film. A modern horror film with a little more punk rock influence and, again, something I can relate to. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I'm so hungry. <laughs> We should have got pizza beforehand so you could, like, eat pizza while she's eating pizza and it'd be a bonding moment for you and your Jackie girl. Oh, my God. And then I would feel like I was on a date with her eating pizza over the corpse of the pizza guy. Except for me sitting there in the corner, like, kind of tisk, tisk, tisking you. That's okay. You'd be like our, our, our little cuckold. Like, I can't believe they're eating pizza. Oh, no. I can't believe this is happening. I think it would be chaperone, a cuckold. Oh, so, sorry. Chaperone. Jesus, what are you, I'm scared. I don't want to go on a date with you and Jackie. Thank you very much, sir. Unless I can bring a drill. And on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.